Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. A doctor, an engineer, and a politician are in a pub one night, and they get into an argument about which of them had the oldest profession in the world. And the doctor was convinced, well, it must be medicine. He says, he says well, look in the Bible, we're told that God created Eve from a rib that he took from Adam, and that clearly required surgery. So it's pretty obvious the doctor is the oldest profession in the world. And the engineer says, ah, but you're forgetting something. He said, before that, we're told that God created the order of the heavens and the earth out of chaos. And that was the first and most spectacular feat of engineering. So I'm afraid mine is the oldest profession in the world. At which point the politician sat back and said, ah, but who do you think created the chaos? In the last few weeks, we have been in this series called Credo. It's based on the Apostles' Creed. It's one of the earliest, most ecumenical summaries of the Christian story. It goes all the way back to about the third century at least, if not earlier. The word creed itself, as we've said in the last few weeks, comes from that word credo, which in Latin means, I believe, the first two words of the creed itself. But as I've said before, I don't want this just to be an academic exercise where we tick off a list of ideas. My aim is to think more about how does it mean? What does it mean for how I live now? What does it mean about my life in 2022? And today we're turning to a particular phrase in it, creator of heaven and earth. Now I'm aware that amongst my more atheist and agnostic friends, there is one faith group that is probably more fair game for ridicule than any other one, and that would be what's called creationists. And by that they mean those who believe the world is really only about six or seven thousand years old, was made in six literal days, and some of them even claim that dinosaurs were around with the people. And I was raised at something like that. I remember being told that if I didn't believe that, I was throwing out the whole Bible by the fourth word. And with the greatest respect to those who taught me the Bible, and they did teach me a lot, and I have much to thank them for, 
think they were talking nonsense there. Christianity is a creationist faith, but I use that term in a very specific way, which is different from what my friends mean when they use it. All I mean is that the Christian faith declares that at the back of it all, at work, in and through it all, is God. Christians have a wide variety of views on the how questions. And I'm sure if I were to ask around this room, I would find quite a range amongst us. And I can live with that. None of us were there to witness it. What more of us have in common is the kind of who and the why questions. You see, modern questions about origins and physics and biology, they weren't really in the minds of those who first wrote this story and handed it down and wrote it for posterity. The main questions they were addressing were theological, even pastoral. Our Bible's creation stories, and there are more than one, did not emerge in a vacuum. Such stories developed in all sorts of ancient cultures, and they all had the same primary aim to justify the world as it is, to justify the social order, to show that those who ruled had the power to do so, and if you were bottom of the food chain, that was because the gods had ordained that it should be so. And everyone was to know their place, and if you were at the bottom of the pile, that was how it was supposed to be, don't complain about it. And the Bible accounts were quite subversive and tell a very different story. In the creation stories of the people around them, all the real action took place in the realm of the gods. The creation of the world had no real value or importance. It was just like an accidental product of this war in the gods. But in Genesis, rather than that, this world is an intentional expression of love and creativity. And sometimes the image of God people have can be a bit grudging or disapproving or of everything. That, you know, God's always down on stuff. Genesis couldn't be more diff different. God creates a good world and God enjoys it and encourages us to enjoy it too. But the most radical part of the story was in the creation of people. Because Genesis said that all were created in the image of God. In the old the, when they were saying that, the Old Testament was declaring that everyone had dignity and honor. If you read a lot of the other creation stories, the only people who are made in the image of God are the elite, the rulers. The rest of us, nah. But in Genesis, no one is set above the others. Doesn't matter about what gender you are, what color you are, what social status you are. You are all in God's image. Not just some ruling elite. We all matter. But it wasn't just Scripture that emerged in a context. So did the creeds. So why was it important for the Christians of the first few centuries to highlight that God was creator of heaven and earth? Well, as Christianity went out into the Jewish world, it went out to a people who had really quite a pessimistic worldview. 
the general intellectual understanding of the world was that it was inherently evil and irredeemable. Nothing good you could say about it. We were souls trapped in a satanic prison. Our aim in life should be to exist on some kind of higher plane, to escape this fleshy existence and find spiritual enlightenment. And such thinking crept into the church. In the second century, there was a guy called Marcion, and he had a dualistic view of the world in which there were two gods. There was one was an evil god, which was often linked with the God of the Old Testament, who created all the material stuff in the world. And because this God was evil, that meant everything in the world was evil. He had a particularly low view of the human body. Do you want to know how he described it? He described us as flesh stuffed with dung. And then he said, there was this other God. It's the New Testament one. He's a spiritual God. This is Jesus. And he's come to save us. And his job is to free us from this body. And another view around the same time with some similarities was called Gnosticism. And it viewed matter as evil and that the real God couldn't be tainted by coming into touch with matter. The world was seen as the product of some kind of inferior God. Whereas our aim in life was to discover the secret knowledge of the true God and escape this physical world. And in time, both of those things were denounced as heresy. But they've never really gone away. Even today, the dominant view of the afterlife is some kind of disembodied spiritual realm. And the physical isn't treated with the same respect within church circles many times as the spiritual. And we'll come to that later in the series. But it can be much more subtle than that. It can come across even in the way we can easily separate the sacred and the secular. Parts of our lives that God is interested in and the parts of lives that God is not. And when we say that God is the creator of heaven and earth, what we're saying is that there is one God. He's behind all things, physical or spiritual, heavenly or earthy. And matter is well named because it matters. Jesus is not some rival deity seeking us to help this, escape this evil physical world and live on a higher plane. Jesus, you know, this world is good and created and loved by the God revealed in Jesus. It's a consistent theme throughout the Old Testament. It says, we read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We hear these words every Christmas. And then it says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Or, note those two phrases there, all things, nothing. All things made by him, nothing made without him. 
Or take this, First uh, Corinthians 8. For us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things, and from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things exist, and we exist through him. Or, for, for him, that's Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The book of Colossians. Or one last one. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Again, those words, all things. In contrast to the prevailing mood at the time, it might surprise us to know that the Christian story had a very positive view of this world. All things are here because God brought them into being. We are here because God wants us to be here. All things exist because of a good and wise God. And not just some intelligent designer stroke watchmaker who sets it off running and then just lets it go off on its own. But a Father Almighty whom we talked about last week. Intimately connected with it committed to the world, sustaining it as a good, loving father should his creation. By the way, please do not fret about Gabriella. Please, you're, you're, the only thing that I'm concerned about is that you're comfortable, okay? So don't worry, she won't put me off, anyone else off. So yes, there is evil in the world, but it is not because things are inherently evil. It's because good things can be used for a wrong purpose. Our world is not as a good God intended. We, and we don't shy away from that, but, we, we, but what we believe is we live in a sick world that needs healing, not an evil world that needs to be destroyed. And we need to get that image of God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, our Father, right, because so much flows from it. And I want to take you back to something with which many of you will be familiar be, uh, to explain why. Now, if you've been around here long enough, and I, I realize there's quite a few newer people in the, sort of since we came out of lockdown and stuff like that, so there's something you really need to know about me. I am a brilliant artist. Absolutely fantastic. And so people here have seen this story before, and I'm going to tell you a little story. It's about why we're here. I'm being really, really uh, sexist. I'm going to make it a man in the middle. But yeah, it could be a woman too, so that's no problem there. But I'm going to give you a quick explanation of this drawing that you have on the screen. Basically, what I'm saying here is that we are created for and exist in a whole sort of set of different types of relationship. 
we have a relationship with God. And that's what, just, just say those three lines, rays of divine light or whatever. They represent God. We're also created to live in relationship with other people. So we have this relationship with others. We are also created to exist in relationship with the planet which God has created. You'd easily recognize that as the world, wouldn't you? And we're also, this last one, which we're created, if you imagine what I'm drawing here is a mirror, if you can even work out what an Irish accent is saying when it says mirror, um, and this is the image of yourself in there, we are created for a relationship with ourselves, to have a healthy self-image. So, in the, uh, in, the, in the fourth century, there was, there was a, about a relationship with God. There was a bishop called Augustine of Hippo who said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. So, we are made for this relationship. But when one of those gets broken. The God relationship gets broken. When we lose sight of the fact that we are made in relationship with God, all of the others get infected. And we run risks with all of the others. When we lose sight of the fact that God is creator of the heavens and the earth, we can start to disregard the created order. If you start to operate on some kind of matter-bad, spiritual good kind of idea, or even just see the physical as somehow inferior to the spiritual or less important, it can start to affect how we see the world as the good gift it is. It can, it can and you know, it can be used and exploited without regard. And we're kind of reaping what we've sown in regard to this in terms of climate change, global warming, and so on. When we lose sight of the world as a good created gift from God to us and trusted to us, we can at best just kind of let it slide. It sort of drops down the agenda. Or at worst, we can just go, ah, well, it's all going to burn up anyway. We don't need to care about it. To declare the creed is to challenge how we view and treat the world. As the psalm set we shared this morning says, the world, a psalm we didn't share this one, but psalm 24 says, the world and all that is in it belong to the Lord. It isn't ours. It is God. We are stewards, not owners. Sisters and brothers, we should not be behind our atheist or agnostic friends or even those of other faiths 
in our care for the world. We, perhaps more than any, have the best reason to be at the heart of creation care. For the earth is the Lord's. It was a gift to us, created by a loving heavenly Father who has entrusted it to our care. Can we honestly say we love God and trash the good gifts he gives us? And when we lose sight of the God's creation as the gift of a loving Father Almighty, it can come to affect not just how we treat the earth, but it can come to affect how we treat others. We can come to start to regard some people as mattering and other people as not. We can rationalize using other people and respecting some whilst looking down on others. And you know, a significant reason why the intellectual classes of the world in which the creed was written emerged, you know, the reason their worldview was so pessimistic was that they looked around their fellow humans and thought, they're all thick. We don't like them. And it's not just the world and all that is in it that belongs to the Lord. The psalm adds the earth and all who live on it are his. In the Middle Ages, there was a wandering scholar called Muratus. And on one occasion, he was a very, very clever man, but he gave away his services for free. He lived in poverty. And uh, on one occasion, he fell ill. And he was taken to a place where the destitute were kept. And doctors gathered round his bed and they discussed his case in Latin because, well, that was the language of the learned in those days and they could, felt they could just talk about them however they felt they could if they were saying that. And he could hear, I think it's Miratus knew it, and he could work out what they were saying. And he said, yeah, and he said, this poor, they were saying, this poor creature, he's of no value to anyone doesn't matter. Why spend time and effort on someone so worthless? No one's going to notice if he dies. And to the shock, Miratus looked up and responded in perfect Latin. Call no one worthless for whom Christ died. Call no one worthless for whom Christ died. When you lose sight of the fact that you are loved, held, and precious to an almighty heavenly father, you know, when, you, when, you, when you realize that, you are much freer to relax into his care. Because you, 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 you can think you are forgotten. That was why I chose the Isaiah passage, particularly this morning. Because he says, the same God who created the world is sustaining it. You matter you mattered enough for him to create you, he, you matter enough for him to sustain you. And he has to remind them of that. And if you spend your time competing to get, if, you know, if once you realize how much you are loved, you don't have to spend your time competing to get ahead, looking after number one, getting over one over on the others. And you can go, well, other people can live that way. I don't need to let them set my standard. Instead, we are called to a treatment of others that goes way beyond what anyone would expect. 
Philippians says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or fear and conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking after your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Or First Peter, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate or humble. I say we shouldn't be trying to outdo each other, but actually Paul said there was one way you could. Outdo one another in showing honor. We are all created by the one Lord and Father, maker of heaven and earth. We, when we lose sight of that, it can affect how we treat one another. Coming to believe that God is a heavenly Father, our creator of heaven and earth, can help us to come to treat one another with love, dignity, respect, reverence, recognizing that they too are in the image of God. But it will also come to affect, when the relationship with God gets broken, it can come to affect the relationship with ourselves. True self-love in this world is all too rare. Oh, there's arrogance, there's pride, but very little true self-love. Even within the faith community, that can be the case. We can see our true selves as a disembodied soul trapped in a body. And we may not treat the body with the respect it deserves. There's an old prayer for Ash Wednesday, which says this, Almighty and eternal God, you hate nothing you have made. What if we extended that to us? You see, it's easy to see God as the creator of everything else, but can we bring it right down closer to home? Martin Luther once put it like this, I believe that God has created me and all that exists, that he has given me and still sustains my body and my soul, all my limbs and senses, my reason and all the faculties of my mind, together with food and clothing, house and home, family and property, that he provides me daily and abundantly with all the necessities of life, that he protects me and preserves me from all evil. All things are here because God brought them into being. You are here because God wants you to be here. All of you. Not just the gaudy spiritual part. Your body. However you feel about it. It's a gift from God. What if we came to see exercise, rest, food, drink, as important spiritual disciplines, every bit as much as praying and reading your scriptures? And yes, I'm preaching to myself here too. This is one I really need to hear. Matter matters. God likes stuff. He made it. God looks on his world and called it good. And even when the world turned against its creator, God stepped humbly into creation to redeem it. All of it. 
He gave his life to heal that whole network of relationships. He took on flesh and blood and stepped into the picture. It's a very physical story because we have a God who values the physical and the spiritual, the earthy and the heavenly. He's the creator and owner of all of it. And he leaves us with very physical ways of remembering that love. In a few moments, we're going to eat some bread. We're going to drink some wine and remember body and blood very physical things as he comes to draw us back into relationship with himself and to heal all of these relationships because he is the God who made, loves and sustains all things and so we come to the table because he invites us and we take some bread, some wine very ordinary things made special by God. Called no one and nothing worthless. For it is all from God and for God. God considered it precious. So may we eat and drink. And remember, we are not just spirits trapped in a body. All of us is loved by God. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.